Welcome to the Road to Success podcast. This episode is proudly brought to you by Celebrity Speakers New Zealand. Aotearoa's foremost professional speakers and entertainment agency and have been for over 30 years. Now, today my guest is none other than the man himself, Mr. Cam Calcoon. And he is one of Celebrity Speakers' top keynote speakers. Oh, he's actually probably their top keynote speaker. I know he's so in demand and you'll see exactly why today. So if you are interested in having Cam at your next event, then please head to celebritiespeakers.co.nz and inquire with the friendly team. Until then, enjoy. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat with that awesome guy, Cam Calcoon. Hey, Cam Calcoon, welcome to the Road to Success podcast. Oh, mate, it's so good to be here. I love it. love talking about this stuff. Yeah, mate, I was, I've, been, uh, I've been very lucky. I was telling you off air to, to be able to see you speak um, once before at a conference a few years ago, and um, I actually got a photo with you afterwards. I was trying to find it before. There's a photo of you and I with your little, your awesome sign, and, oh. um, and ever since then, I've been, uh, been excited or hoping to get the chance to chat with you. So um, I know, it's a, I know you're, a, you're a busy guy, and I guess probably the last few years have been a bit different to you know, when, when I saw you speak. You were probably speaking you know, once a week somewhere, I guess, were you? There would have been more. Like I think that was in 2018 at a uh, hard coach yep. conference, and uh, I would have been mm-hmm. doing two, three a week all over the world, and it was an incredible dream, you know. Like for a kid who's yep. born with cerebral palsy, told his biggest challenge would be the way he talks, and now speaking with some of the biggest companies and brands and teams throughout the world, I uh, I pinch myself, you know. I pinch myself every day, Maddie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're doing two to three gigs a week, and um, and obviously the last few years has has has, has things have things have changed a little bit, and maybe we'll get into that to that shortly. But uh, you know, I want to want to want to start off by obviously talking about cerebral palsy. Um, you know, people that are listening may may notice that you, you sound sl- slightly different. Um, yeah, I've got a different accent. I've got a different accent up here. <laughs> I heard a story. I actually heard a story, Cam, that you that, that you uh, when you were speaking overseas at a, at a at a gig. I think it might have been in Germany. That, that you said, "This is just my Kiwi accent. Yeah. This is what we all sound like." <laughs> it's a good gag. How good, how good. They all come up to me afterwards yeah. and they're like, "Cool, I like the accent. I like the accent." <laughs> but I remember, Matty, you know, like as a kid, and I'd be watching. Um, I, I love Formula One. I, I mean, I, I loved Michael Schumacher just because he was he was champion and I've always been inspired by success and successful people. And I remember listening to a press conference of Michael Schumacher and it was the first time I ever heard him talk and he had a really thick German accent. And I was like, man, like people from all over the world would pay big bucks to hear this guy speak because of what he's achieved. And so his accent, you know, although it is an accent, it didn't get in the way of of people tuning in all over the world. It didn't matter what people spoke or what they were accustomed to, they would tune into Michael Schumacher because of what he's achieved. And so I was like, if I achieve good stuff, all I need to do is see this cerebral palsy as an accent, and that's what really enabled me to kind of 
go from quite a fixed mindset to a, to a growth mindset. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know the, the the story that you've 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 lived is an incredible one, and and um, and and we'll get into that too. And so so maybe let's just talk a little about you know because look, if I'm honest, before I'd I'd, I'd um, you know done much research and planning for for your, our chat today, I didn't really know a huge amount about cerebral palsy, and I'm sort of assuming that that most people listening are probably going to be in the same boat. So can you give us um, obviously you're born with it, but can you give us sort of a, a thirty second sort of synopsis of of, of what cerebral palsy is? Yeah. So it's a physical disability which affects the way in which messages travel around my body. So instead of them travelling smooth like they will for most of your listeners, mine get a little bit excited <laughs> and they hit speed bumps along the way, meaning that my voice is a little bit shaky and shorter in my limbs. But the great thing about it is it can't get worse. In fact, the more that I work out, whether that's physically or with my voice, the better it becomes. But cerebral palsy, you know, it, it happened during birth. It wasn't planned. Um, and it can affect everyone in really different ways from someone being in a wheelchair, unable to talk, unable to walk, through to someone walking past you in the street and you you probably wouldn't even notice. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and um, you grew up in was it Napier that you grew up in? Yeah, we grew. Up, I was born in Holland, but grew up in Napier and uh, had a great, awesome, awesome childhood. Yeah, and your dad was a dog trainer. I think I read. Is that right? Yeah. So dad, dad always had a dream of training dogs ever since he was a kid and uh, he, he ended up going over to Holland where he learned how to train and work with a wild wolf and this wolf, you know, every single dog since the beginning of time, even that of a little chihuahua, originates in the DNA of a wolf. And so the fact that Dad, you know, as a 20-year-old, got this opportunity to, to work with a wild wolf meant that he would learn the DNA of every single dog that would come into his life. And uh, he's been able to train dogs for 35, 37 years now. And we were in Napier. I think he trained every dog in Napier. (laughs) And so at that point, (laughs) we we moved up to Auckland. But we also moved to Auckland because mum and dad, they, they really, they did everything that they could to just create the best opportunities for my sister and I. And in Napier, there wasn't a school that matched my my needs. And when I talk about my needs, I don't mean that of having cerebral palsy. I mean, in terms of my dreams and my ambition. And so they, they didn't want us to, to, they wanted us to have a big, broad focus on our world. And they knew that we could get that up here in Auckland. And so they moved the house, you know, they, they sold a, the house for, and they um, bought a house that was a third of a size for five times the price, <laughs> and and, <laughs> and resettled. But that was the stuff that my mum and dad were prepared to do so that we could really just live a, an opportunity-centric life. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, I mean, when you, uh, I was telling you about my girls off, off air. You know, like when when you become a parent, certainly things change, and you, um, you know, it sounds like you've had some, you've got some credible parents, and 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 so you sort of mentioned that you were into sport and, and bits and pieces. So you were you were you were participating and 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 competing and 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 in all sorts of sports when you were young, or was it were you sort of more focused around the the running stuff? I just love sport, you know. Um, 
Uh, and it's quite strange, you know, people people ask me now, you know, what was it like at, at primary school for the assumption that I was a victim of bullying or getting a hard time and rejection and fortunately nothing could be further from the truth thanks to my, my heart and, and my mind and realising really that beneath the surface we're all very similar. We all have dreams, goals, ambition, we all have a sense of humour, well, most of us do anyway. And when we when we turn these things inside out, we build connection, we build rapport, we build friendship. And I remember I'd play cricket and I'd go up and it would be the start of a, a cricket match, 9am on a Saturday morning. And I'd just walk up to the captain of our team and I'd say, look, I, I'm playing in this team. I've got cerebral palsy. I can't bowl from the whole pitch. I can bowl from about halfway. Is that cool? And it was cool, Matty. And they'd say yes. And if I bowl someone out, I bowl someone out. And if I blocked the wicket because I knew I couldn't hit it, but I knew if I just held my back there, I wouldn't hit the wicket, I'd, I'd stay in, you know. And uh, and that that was my childhood, Matt, of just um just not not knowing that I not knowing what I couldn't do. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's a bit like the the bumblebee. The bumblebee is impossible to fly. Its body is too big. Its wings are too small. But it doesn't know that it can't fly, and it flies anyway. And that kind of sums up my my childhood. That's a great analogy. Um, a great analogy. And yeah, it's sort of you know I often wonder about that sort of stuff, Cam. Like I wonder you know if we didn't know what we what 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 held us back, if we could do more. Like it's a bit of a weird thought experiment, right? And I'm going off on a real tangent here, so so bear, bear with me. But have you seen that show? What's that show with Jim Carrey where he's like the only guy in the world that exists? Uh, like he's in that uh, Ed, T- yeah. is Ed TV or something? Or um, uh, I can't remember the name. Yeah, he's the, he, he, yeah. yeah, you know the one. I know the one. And I, I know where you're going with this. And it, it gives me goosebumps. It, it really does. Like it's kind of a thing of if I had never been told that I had cerebral palsy, what would my life be like? Because when I'm at home and I'm thirsty and I need a drink, I'll just go and I'll pick up a drink and I'll fill it to the room and I'll pour it and I'll enjoy it because there's no one watching me. There's no one thinking, oh, this guy's got cerebral palsy. Is he going to drop his glass? Have a look at this guy. This is going to be a laugh. I don't have that, you know, and and but when I'm out in public and I'm I'm grabbing a drink, man, I'm scared. The drink's kind of going everywhere, and so it's this really interesting thing. And I think that's what you were sort of alluding to, of you know, uh, yeah. Um, if we took away the labels in which we're we're given in life, what would our life be like? Yeah, yeah, like totally. Like I, I mean, I was even thinking more extreme, and that's why it's such a stupid thing to think about. Is that imagine if like if if you if, if for some way everyone in your uh, like if they you know created like an an artificial world for us or for one person to exist in, and they and they filmed you, and and within that world, say like I don't know, everyone could read minds or move objects with their hands or something, just something weird that they contrived. But it was it was it was all sort of some sort of illusion. But there was one. person 
person who didn't know that it was an illusion. And there was one, and I wonder if, you know, like the bumblebee, if they didn't know that it was possible, could they unlock a different part of their mind and be able to do something? I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird question. Totally. But it's, it's something I've always thought about. And so we'll get back to you. I'm sorry to tangent there, but we, we, we you, you move up to Auckland. Um, and uh, when, you know, when we were um, preparing for this, you, you, you said that you started at Northcote College in 1998. And then you put something in there which, which sort of got my attention, which, which I'd like to talk about. You said, um, and it was described, you described it as one of the darkest years of your life. Mm. Can you explain that? Yeah. So I was that first time, you know, like becoming a teenager is gnarly anyway. And then when you've got something that makes you physically different, it, it becomes even more gnarly. Or at least that's what you tell yourself. That's what I told myself. And I remember arriving at Northcote College and I didn't know anyone at the school. So up until now, I've been at schools with people who had known me since kindergarten. Now I'm going into this brand new environment and I'm envious of everyone all in their social circles and I just wish I could see a familiar face. And we ended up in the school auditorium and for the first time in my life I noticed two groups of students. We were those with special needs at the front of the hall and they were going off to the special needs unit. And then there was everyone else. And I wasn't a part of that special needs unit. I never had been. I didn't believe I had to be. That's not why I was at that school. But because I walked funny and I taught funny, the other kids didn't know where I belonged. And so I really struggled with for building friendships. I really struggled with building rapport. And I used to love going on school camp and doing all that stuff at the school. I didn't want to go on school camp. I would, uh, you know, I, I'd be telling myself that I, I'm in a dark place and who can I be in this world? And I didn't know if I could be anyone. Far out. Um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like a, it's you know like you said you go from a, a, a relatively small town of, of Napier or regional you know area where um, you know everyone knows you and you know everyone you've grown up with everyone and all of a sudden you're thrust into you know you move to Auckland for this opportunity and and like you said a teenager you know I was that was that intermediate was that high school for you high school no so so when we first got to Auckland I went to an intermediate and it was a great a great intermediate mm-hmm. so that that intermediate so it wasn't necessarily even the thing of being in a big city, mm. I think it was the teenage thing. It was the, you know, primary school, intermediate school. It didn't have a special needs unit. High school now have a special needs unit. And when you take people out, when you when you build these, like, silos for people, it, it messes with our education. It messes with our reality of, well, if they belong over here, I belong here. And there's like this grey area for those who don't belong in any. And I felt different. And at that stage, different was not cool because all the cool kids all looked the same. They all could play first 15. They could all be in the first 11. They could, uh, you know, do stuff. But but my my saving grace is that I, um, I had two things. But the thing that got me through that third form year at school was drama. And I asked my te- my um, 
Kaja and I was like, where do you find cool kids at school? And they said, go to the drama class. You'll, you'll meet all sorts in drama and you'll, uh, if nothing else, you'll develop some more confidence. And so that's what I did. And the second thing is I used to watch the Havoc and Newsboy show and I love Newsboy, Jeremy Wells. I, I thought he was incredible. In fact, he was the only person that would make me laugh. I'd watch that show every Tuesday or Wednesday evening and my mum had written a letter to Jeremy. And I don't know what she put in that letter. I still don't really know. But Jeremy responded and he responded with a, a two-page letter. And he was only 21 years of age at the time. And in that letter, he told me about his experience at school. He told me about how he got so pissed off for people trying to be the same. And that for him, the people that counted in this world looked for those who were different. And, and those words, I've, I've still got the letter today, it's framed, it's stuck up on my wall. I see it every time I leave a house of that uh, difference is a good thing. The people who count in this world look for those who are different. And, uh, you know, you only need to look at Jeremy Wells now and see what he's achieved to realise that, indeed, they were pretty good words to choose to live by. Yeah, yeah, far out. That's a, that's a great story. I mean... <clears throat> Like you said, I think you know third form is probably tough on a lot of people, particularly um, you know the, the experience you tend to have you, you had, and, and I think um, you know it, I mean it shows you how you know what an amazing mum you've got that she you know she knew that you loved um, you know Jeremy Wells and she wrote off to him and um, you know have you oh, oh actually I know you have you know because I've heard you speak about it. you reached out to him and and he, are you in contact with Jeremy much at all? Uh, a little bit. Um, not not he's, but enough to know that there's a massive mutual appreciation there, you know. And I I did about probably 15 years after getting that letter because when you give a letter, it's cool, but I'm still in that dark place. I'm still like a, a shy teenager. It's wicked, but, man, what do you do with a letter like that? But I, I read it, and then about 15 years later, and I would have been speaking that story and I thought, you know, he's probably heard it, but it'd be pretty cool if he could hear it from me. So I jumped home, I, I jumped on Facebook, I was like, does anyone know Jeremy Wells? And 48 hours later, we were meeting up at the Pontchamy Food Court here in Auckland and had a good yarn. And I asked him why he did it, and he said there were a couple of reasons, but one reason is he, he just thought it was so cool that a mum would, would do that, you know, and he... He, he felt a little bit like people in society maybe thought he was unapproachable because he's a celebrity, but he's a mum reaching out and asking for some help and uh, it was kind of the least that he thought he could do. So Yeah, and there's a cool, yeah. there's a cool lesson for all, so all of us. So it's just the thing, the, the power of communication, you can never underestimate it. You can never underestimate what those small words may be, whether you're at the petrol pump, you know, talking to the petrol pump attendee or um, attendant or writing a letter to to someone or reconnecting with an old teacher or a mate. It doesn't matter how many years it's been or what's happened. Like, communication is uh, it's the most powerful thing in our, in our world. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what I was about to say is that there's a great lesson in that for all of us that sometimes those those small, you know, acts of kindness can can make a huge difference, particularly when you you know, like the 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 story you've gone on to lead as well. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, you know, I'm sort of going through your, your, your timeline a little bit. And so you, you're at high school and, um, you know, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about athletics because, uh, you know, that's that's gone on to, to, to make up a, a rather significant part of your life as well. And, um, you know, I understand that, that, that you got into athletics because there was a, a bit of paper passed around the room sort of saying, you know, write your name down with which event you want to compete at, at school athletics day. And, and you just happened to be sitting next to a... Uh, uh, a rather influential person at the time of that uh, that that bit of paper being passed around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so another significant thing to mention here is that I actually had moved high school. So I'd moved away from a school that had a special needs unit where I wasn't fulfilling my potential to a school that didn't have a special needs unit but believed in creating an experience. And that's what life is all about, creating an experience, not ticking a box. You do what you do, Maddie. I do what I do. Your listeners do what they do. And to recreate an experience, well, at that point, we become unforgettable. And so I was at Rangitoto College and my my principal had asked me, you know, Cam, and I'm, at, I'm in my interview, and he's like, Cam, what can you do for my school? And I was like, dude, what do you mean? <laughs> what can I do for your school? This is your school, aren't you going to teach me? And then I realised he really just wanted everyone to to embrace opportunity. And I was in school, I was in form class, and I was sitting next to Terenzo Bazzoni, who was an incredible athlete at that stage in his life. In fact, he's been a professional athlete the whole time. I've known him, he's represented New Zealand all over the world and uh, more than an incredible athlete, he's an incredible person and he just said, Cam, pick your name down for the 100 metres and and that's what I did and I was nervous as anything, my knees were shaking, my butterflies were flying uh, but I ran that race and as I ran down that track, I heard people chanting my name, Guy Cam, Guy Cam, you can do it because physically I was losing. I was 10, 20, 30 metres behind everyone else in that race. I was the only kid with a disability, but I got the support and, you know, life is about doing what we enjoy, what we're good at, but it's also about appreciating that there's people every single day that come into our life who are doing things that they haven't done before or that scare them. And our job is to support them to be the best that they can be. And that support inspired me to 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 become a, a full-time athlete. Yeah, yeah. And so you, you, you tag that on the end there, like become a full-time athlete. Like that, what, that's amazing in itself. So so talk to me a little bit about that story because, you know, it was only from, you know, like I think you, you, that first race was in about 2000 and then, you know, within a couple of years you were competing internationally. So so how did that sort of work? Yeah. Mate, uh, I, I'm used to telling this whole story in one chunk. So that, that's, that's why I'm stopping at little parts so that this can still be a, a conversation back, back and forth. Absolutely. No, no, it's good. People are going to be like, man, is Maddie going off to have a cup of coffee? Or, <laughs> well, this guy just keeps going. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I ran that and, and when I crossed the finish line and Someone told me about the Paralympics and this was, I was like 
12, 13 years of age, and I had no idea that the Paralympics even existed. I, I didn't know it was a thing. So don't 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 take for granted that everyone knows what is available to them because I I didn't. I wish I had. Someone told me about it that I could be competitive in this world. And so I went home that night and I, I looked up top-performing sprinters and I, I, I looked at what they did and I developed my persona and I, I worked out how, how do I now need to walk around with school? What does training need to look like? I've only ran one race at this point. But I'm going to start training every single day of the week. I'm, I'm going to go up to the best athletes in the school, Terenzo Bazzoni. I'm going to say, dude, can I come running with you? Can I just start to build up some foundation strength? I'm going to go to the, the club that is just on the other side of my school and say, I want to be a sprinter. Give me the best sprinting coach that you've got. But I don't want you to worry about breaking me. I'll tell you if you're pushing me, don't, 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 don't make assumptions about what I can and can't do. And two, no, six months later, I was off to Australia representing New Zealand at the Australian Junior Paralympics and winning gold in the 100 and 200 metres. And within four months of that, I was off in Korea. Um, within a year, I was one of the first athletes sponsored and supported by the Peter Snow Institute of Sport, along with Dame Valerie Adams and Terenzo Pizzoni. So Terenzo keeps popping into my life and uh, and living that, that dream, living that life of those athletes that I went home and looked up and then adopted their persona into my life. Where does that, that is an incredible story. I mean, like I've, I, I, I don't think I've heard it before, but I literally have goosebumps, you know, like it's a, it's a, it's a, where does that mindset come from? Is that something that you developed or that you were, your parents encouraged or were you born with it to, to run a race and then go, you know, be told about the Paralympics and then decide that you're going to go away and, and, and put in the effort and look up these things and, and, and join these clubs and, 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 and more than that, but do the, do the work. Cause there's no way that you go from, you know, your first, uh, your first school, hundred meter sprint to, you know, a, a world record and, um, you know, in such a short time without doing an extraordinary amount of work. So, <clears throat> where did that where did that mindset for you come from to 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 decide that you're going to take that on? Yeah, as always, I've always had a crazy imagination. I've always been a big dreamer. I always wanted to live a life where I could travel, where I could entertain, and when I connect connect with people. And even when I look at that dark stage in my life and uh, the, the leader from Jeremy Wells coming to me, I think part of the reason in which I was able to ignite the motivation from that leader is because in my head I had that dream. I wanted to travel, entertain, connect. I didn't know what it looked like, but I didn't want to give up on that. I never wanted to, to as bad as life was, I didn't want to give up. I. It would be way worse to give up on life completely than find out what I could be. And so what happened on my athletics day is I realised that this, 
this would be my ticket to ticking all those boxes. If I can become one of the best athletes in my category of people with cerebral palsy, I will get to travel all over the world. Sport is entertaining. And, you know, when I go to stadiums and there's 20, 30,000 people watching you, that's entertainment. And that I would be able to connect. I'd be able to connect for people. I'd be able to connect for sponsors. I'd be able to attract all this cool stuff into my life. And that is what inspired me to go, yep, I've lost this race, but I did get support. I did get support. I can't underestimate that as well. And so that made it a little bit less scary because I knew that people weren't like laughing at me or dissing me. Um, and you put all that together in a great environment of the school, of where I was growing up, and you've got the perfect kind of cocktail to uh, to unleash your potential. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things I've I've heard you mention before um, is 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 that you know you didn't know what you wanted to be, but you knew what you wanted to do. Uh, you, know, you knew you didn't know what you wanted to do, but you knew you wanted to wanted to. to what have I done there? <laughs> you knew one of them. But yeah, no, no, you, you didn't you know. You right the first time. Yeah, did I? I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to do yeah, yeah. entertainment and connection. Yeah. So how did you figure that out? Because because that's a that's a brilliant thing to 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 understand, particularly obviously at a relatively young age. That hey, I don't know exactly what I wanted to to, to be, but I know that these three things are what really sort of light me up. And then and then you're just looking for things that come up in your life that'll allow you to do those. So where did you come up with that idea that you wanted to to travel to entertain and, and connect? It was my role models growing up. You know, it was. I, 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 I would look at whether it was movie stars or sports stars or comedians and I would look at excellence, you know, um, and I'd just be hugely inspired by excellence. We grew up in a, a good family, but it was real middle class, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't hugely successful, but we had enough to be able to do what we did and I just always looked for... I don't, I've, I've got cerebral palsy and I, I don't want to, no, I don't not want to. I can't afford for this to dictate my life. I can't afford to grow up in a stereotypical disabled way. So whatever that may be, you know, that may give some people curable spine. But in, in the 1990s and early 2000s, we weren't a lot of role models or people with disabilities. We still had special homes, we still had special needs stuff. I didn't want any of that in my life and I, I knew that I would be the only person that could control that and I can control that through my dreams. I don't know if it was a specific book or something, but I just, I feel that I've always had that creativity in my mind. I've never seen why I can't go out with the most beautiful girl in the school. I've never seen why I can't be a, a top athlete. I've never seen why I can't be a top speaker. And I've just gone, what can I do to to do things? And like I said, part of it is that I, I, I just wanted to be Cam Calcoon. I didn't want to be Cam that guy with a disability. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, a tremendous mindset. And I think, you know, everyone should be the same, you know, like everyone should, you know, like we you often put yourself into categories and, you know, and school can be good and bad at that, can't it? You know, like it, it, without even doing so, it divides people into, you know, some people are good at sport, some people yeah. are good at, you know, um, at the, 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 the academic side of it, some people are good at other parts of it and it does divide us into it. But what would be possible for all of us if we sort of were able to shed those, um, you know, those categories that we're put into, um, you know, at, at an early age, which you've you've managed to do, which is which is you know incredible, and you're you, I'm sure you know, but you yeah. you know you inspire so many people with with what you're able to do, and and you went on to be an athlete for ten years, didn't you? I think also just to finish it up, because as you've been speaking, I've been reflecting, and it's definitely been about having great leadership in my life. You know, it's been in at primary school, great great principal. Intermediate school, great principal. First year at high school, good principal. Second year of high school, great principal. You know, like people that challenge you, people who ask questions like, what can you do for my school? Small question, but big result, you know, because you've got to think about that, you know. It's not just going, oh, like, what do you mean? It's like going, okay, what what does that look like? If someone challenges me to be like, what are you going to bring to this company? Man, now I know that they want to look at me in a way that I am a contributor to that scope, that I am a contributor to this company, that I am a contributor to this world. So great leadership is what got me into that position and then when you combine that with an ambition to dream big and to create your own life, that's the, that's the recipe and that's what created a, a 10-year um, relationship with athletics and competing all over the world. Never got to the actual Paralympics. So Paralympics is like the... Because um, we still... Some people think that Paralympics is... Power as in it's paraplegic or that every game for an athlete with a disability is a Paralympic sport or and but the Paralympics um stands for a parallel. So everything about the Paralympics is parallel to the Olympics, which I thought was a real cool understanding. So it always happens two weeks later, same venue, same track, same accommodation. I never got to that level, but I got to a, a world championship level. I got fourth in the world for the 100 metres. I got um, fifth in the world for the 200 metres, and I achieved some cool stuff. And then I realised I never wanted my um, competition in life to be determined by the abilities of my cerebral palsy rather governed by who I am as a human being. And that's when I started looking at, well, how can I be competitive in this world without being an athlete? Because being an athlete is cool, but I've got some sponsorships, but it's not going to be enough for me to build a foundation for my life back then, or that I couldn't see that at least. And so I wanted to start creating a, a successful life that included more than just uh, getting some medals and running off uh, down a track. 
Yeah, yeah. And so <clears throat> there was one quick thing I, I want to I want to come back to to that that point there. But the one thing you said there was when you're talking about the leadership and. Um, you know what was the? I mean, you sort of maybe maybe it's the questions they asked you, but I, I was just thinking, what what did those leaders do? Those principles that you had that that challenged you to to not cut yourself short and what you're capable of. What were the? Because obviously you've gone on to live a tremendous life and do some incredible things already. And I'm just curious to understand. You know, leadership's a, is a, is something that I think a hat that everyone wears, whether they know it or not. And everyone wants to be a good leader, and everyone wants to you know do things that 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 help create success and and other people and happiness in other people. And so my my question is, what what specifically did those leaders do that that essentially changed your perception of what what you could do yeah um they had real strict strict values like they were they were tight on their values so my intermediate school principal a guy called ian taylor he wanted that school to be the cleanest school ever because he believed that if you respected your environment, you would it would respect you and it would bring the best out of you. So at the end of lunchtime, he'd walk around, he'd walk around that school, and if there was any rubbers out on the out in the schoolyard. He'd ring the bell, we'd all come out of class, didn't matter what class you were doing, come out and pick up 10 bits of rubbers, don't go back to school until you picked up that rubbers. And and he saw that as being really important and what it was is that some people hated him for it. People were like, man, you've got my kids at school, you're meant to be teaching them. He could see that respect for your environment would be one of the best things. He wasn't worried about making enemies. He believed in himself so much and he believed in what he'd studied and he was passionate. He'd be out at school at 4.30 in the morning and he'd be the last person to leave. Like, he was committed. So commitment, values, and not being afraid to disappoint and upset people was the, you know, what I got from that. And it was the same with my high school principal, you know, asking big questions of people, not making assumptions about what people can and can't do, not not putting cotton wool around people. In fact, often being quite tough on people, but, but what's the saying, you know, Jan Cameron, the amazing swimming coach, she, you know, she was one of those people that was like really tough on the outside, but had a heart of gold on the, on the inside. And, uh, you know, that, that's all those sort of people have been the ones that have, have influenced me the most. People that can get, be a little bit scary, a little bit intimidating, but they, but, They've got a reason for doing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, le- great leadership's hard. You know, there's only you know, there's very few people that can do it, do it incredibly well. But it's um, I'm always interested to learn, and so you know, those are great, um, great insights there. And so, and if we jump back into, so you 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 you've been an athlete for you know for ten years, and you decide that um, you know you want to do something else. And was it um, obviously you know there was a financial element to it as well because you were going, oh well, you know I've got a few sponsorships as an athlete, but I know that I, I I'm not able to to do everything that 
that I want to do without sort of having something else. Is that correct or was it just wanting to challenge yourself more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was looking, you know, like I've always gone, I've got, to, I've got to keep looking ahead of time and I've got to be really true and really honest with myself of have I, you know, the world's changing all the time, you know, like people are being paid megabacks now to play video games and so it does come down to your insight. But at that time, I didn't have that insight, I didn't have the vision, I didn't have the creativity to be able to get what I really needed out of my athletics in the next five to ten years. So I needed to find something else and... But, and and I remember I went to a mentor of mine, and this is a coach that I'd had. He was the first person to give me a scholarship to go to his gym, and um, and so I was really scared of having this conversation of how do I say to someone that's been so supportive of me? How do I say I don't want to do this anymore? I've told all my supporters, but I'm not going to stop until I'm the best athlete in this world. Um, what 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 happens if I am honest and say, I don't want to do this anymore? Are people going to see me as a failure? Are people going to be like, ah, oh, don't believe that Cam Calcoon, he talks a big talk, but he's not going to give it, he's going to give up, you know? And so when I'm in my late 20s, I, this is what I'm feeling. Am I going to lose all my mates because all my mates are people I've been training with? And this mentor of mine says, can people support you for not what you do but for who you are and wherever you go, we know that you'll put your best into it. And that made what was kind of a really hard decision into a, a no-brainer and much like what I did with becoming an athlete, I then did the same with setting up charity and eventually becoming a speaker. I was like, okay, this is the decision I've made. Who do I need to idolise? Who do what, what persona do I need to create? And I went out and I did that. And so for five, six years, I, I ran an awesome youth mentoring programme uh, mentoring young people with disabilities and through that starting to develop my my speech and then become a, a full-time speaker yeah yeah it's a that's a great story and so what what you know what was the you know I think you the the fear you had of telling those people that had supported you along your athletic career that you wanted to sort of have a pivot in your life or a change in your life was um is, is very reasonable and so what was that like when you told them you know like that that hey look I, I am going to go and, and do something else now yeah it was um Hearing those words from someone that you know at the time was a huge mentor. He was he was he was rich. He was sporty. Like he had a great family, beautiful wife. He had everything. But I was like that that that's a cool life. And if this guy's got my back, man, who really cares what anyone else thinks? You know, it's that that classic thing of if you have a good mentor in your life and you you take their wisdom. You, you become bulletproof. And I I went out and, you know, people would say, well, we, we understand, we, we know it, we know you're at this level, but you've got the whole of CAM to develop. So 
go go and do that. Um, people knew I was a good athlete and doing great things, but to get to that really other level, that, that, that meant doing some things that no one was too sure what the result of that would be. So to kind of create a bit of a new fresh canvas and um, go out and do it was was kind of a big weight of my shoulders. It was like, ah, okay, I've, you know, 10, 12 years of doing this sport, I can now do something else. Um, and really quickly realised that I was still pretty young and I, well, really, really young and that um, to have choice and to have change is, is part of life. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely beautifully put, beautifully put. And so, and so, you, you set up and ran the the mentoring um, thing for a while, and then you know, when did you decide, or when did how did the how did the idea of becoming a speaker sort of come about? Because it's not something that everyone just sort of falls into. You know, it's um, it's obviously you've got a pretty an incredible story. Um, but how did it actually come about that you were going to start sharing that from the stage? Yeah, so I um. I, I was invited to speak about my athletics, athletics to a Rotary Club and at that idea, at that stage of my life, I had no idea what a Rotary Club was, but I went and I spoke my story and at the end of a talk, a few men came up to me and they said, Cam, we're looking to build a disability resource centre on Auckland's North Shore, but we've hit a brick wall when it comes to raising the $4 million we need to build a facility, would you become our ambassador? And I didn't know what an ambassador was, but <laughs> it sounded cool. So I said yes, and I discovered that I was to become the face to that campaign. And I realised that if we could tell a good story, we'd be able to touch a heart. And if we could touch a heart, we could open a wallet. And so we'd put on these big fundraising evenings we would raise uh, $50,000, $60,000, $120,000 in, in an evening. And a big contributor to that, towards that was the speech just before the, the charity auction began. And so I'd just step into my element and I'd just be like telling these stories and getting everyone laughing and crying and thinking about why we're here and what's important in life and that you can do anything with support and then the auction would begin and the money would come in and then after the auction people would be like, Cam, can you come and can you come and do that at my school? Can you come and do that at my business? I'll, I'll give you dinner, I'll give you a couple of hundred bucks, I'll pay for your petrol and I was like, whoa, like this this is amazing. And then I I met with, I, I was um, sponsored, the charity was sponsored with the um, Vodafone Foundation and I was doing an event at the Vodafone Foundation as a recipient and I got an opportunity to speak there and another recipient was a guy called Billy Graham who is one of New Zealand's greatest inspirational speakers. He works with a lot of uh, youth in Nai Nai, teaching them how to box. And he said, Cam, if you can do what you did here as a speaker, you can speak anywhere. And I was like, well, what do you mean? 
And he was like, well, tomorrow I'm off to Sydney. The week after that, I'm off to Los Angeles and I'm getting put up in these biggest hotels. I'm flying over business class. I'm getting paid money that enables me to do what I want to do. And at that point, boom, the light bulb in my head um, went off. And I was like, that, that, that is the ultimate of of travel, of entertainment and, and of connection. Yeah, so he ticks all those three boxes. Um, yeah, that's a great story. It's a, I mean, you know, I, I do a bit of speaking in as well, isn't it? And, and, and nowhere near as, as much as you. And it, um, but it's a weird thing to sort of come about. Everyone's got sort of a slightly different story of how they ended up doing it. And it's a, um, um, you know, it's, it's it's cool to hear that that's the way. And there's a uh, there's a funny story that you've told about um, one of your first speaking gigs. And I remember you told it. You were speaking at a high school. Uh, I can't remember the, a girl's high school. I can't remember the name of it. And yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember the girls' high school. I remember. <laughs> hearing this story and when you spoke at the conference and I was just bent over laughing because you just have this, you've got this amazing sense of humour and this ability to sort of laugh at yourself and it just really, really lit me up. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. Um, well, sense of humour is uh, really important. Your sense of humour, when it comes to building connection and rapport with people, that sense of humour for me is the easiest way to do it and you know, looking back on things. And again, I guess it's going like, it's not the fact that I struggled to speak for made speaking impossible. It was the scary things that actually, sometimes they do happen. So I'm at this high school and I feel a sneeze coming on. I'm halfway through my speak. I'm, I'm doing all I can to keep speaking and not sneeze. And it's quite difficult. And in my case, I'm possible and all of a sudden my nose exploded snot everywhere my handkerchief not in my pocket but underneath a note at home that said cam do not forget your hanky i was in a moment of dilemma for girls but not sure whether to laugh or to cry and then I hear my manager walking up on stage behind me, not with a hanky, not with a tissue, but his very own shirt for me to find my nose on. <laughs> oh, the great and story. So I did. Uh, and that's, uh, but it's, 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 it's going back on your life, and this is the privilege of being a speaker, right, is we give an opportunity to actually stop and smile and reflect on the moments in our life where we could have given up, but we decided to keep going. What would have happened if I'd given up? What is the lesson from that? How do I take that experience of my life and make it universal so that no matter where someone's sitting, the real estate agent who hasn't sold a house or the broker who hasn't got the deal or the teacher who is struggling with a kid or the parent who has just um, had a child born that's a little bit different, how can you touch all of those people with your story? Because sometimes and quite often, all of those people is actually one person. And so when someone comes into a conference, it's looking at them as they're not just the agent, they are a parent, they are a friend, they are a sibling, they are a mentor, they are having good times, they are having bad times, they are wondering what COVID means, they're wondering what the years look like, they're 
wondering what they have to contribute to this world, uh, wondering am I just this athlete or am I something else, you know? And so as a speaker, if we can see our audience as that broad range, then you touch them, then you connect with them and, uh, and then you can take that career um, wherever you want to go. And so when I took it to um, New York City, that's what I did when I was approaching um, bureaus and not getting much feedback, if any feedback, I, I looked at how do I, how do I take that rejection and turn it into a fiction. Yeah, it's fantastic. And you've gone on to have some tremendous success. You know, you were Speaker of the Year in, in 2020. Um, you know, I think you've you've spoken. How many different countries have you spoken in now? Do you know? Have you got a... Re- uh, I've run out of fingers and toes <laughs> <laughs> for, for counting. Yeah, gosh. Well, I mean, we, you know, we've done everything through uh, interpreter in Japan to a tiny village in Vanuatu to you know, 45 floors above Times Square in New York City, um, Dunedin to Auckland, yeah, uh, Heineken and Amsterdam, and it's, it's, it's buzzy, you know, to, to 3,000 real estate agents on the Gold Coast of Australia, like, and it's just the beauty is that you step into this audience and no one knows who I am, you know, like, oh, man, this guy's the, the closing keynote and we've never heard of him before. <laughs> and um, and within, within a few minutes, you're laughing, you're connecting, you, you've got that rapport and, uh, and, and that's why, because everyone is, um, everyone has the ability to make your stage as big as you want it to be and that's, that's the magic. Yeah. That is magic, Cam, and honestly what you do, and, and I know there'll be people listening that have seen you speak and will certainly attest to, um, you know, the, 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 the show you put on. And one of the things that I, I do, one of the things I have, you know, I think you were told it, and I think you've shared it a couple of times, was that don't don't give a speech, uh, put on a show, and I love that, and, um, and you certainly do an incredible job. And, um, you know, <clears throat> we, we kind of glazed over a small part of it, but in there you managed to climb Kilimanjaro as well. And amongst being an athlete and a world-renowned speaker, you've uh, you've climbed, climbed a mountain as well. How did that come about? Well, yeah, one thing as a speaker is you're always looking for new content, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> I was meeting up uh, uh, with Mike Allshop, who's an incredible speaker and a great New Zealander, great person. He's climbed Mount Everest. Um, and he said to Cam, have you ever thought about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro? And long story short, the, the reasons for saying yes were way more awesome than the perceptions for saying no. So I said yes, but I needed to then keep inspired because I hate walking and <laughs> I'd never done anything like climb a mountain before. And so I, I reached out to 20 people that inspire me and 19 of them said yes. And we went up Mount Kilimanjaro. We got up to the top in 2019, uh, 19,000 feet. is the tallest freestanding mountain in the world. So where Everest is, you know, obviously part of a, part of the Himalayas, Kilimanjaro just pops out of nowhere. So that's what makes it the tallest freestanding mountain in the world. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, uh, it was a, a cool, Cool experience, you know, things like 
you're climbing up this wall. There's a thousand foot vertical wall when you look at it, you're like, how the heck am I going to get up there? You get to about 750 um, um, feet and there's this big boulder that sticks out and this boulder, you've got to go around it, but and it's overhanging, so all what you've climbed behind is below you and you can't see the other side. All you've got to do is trust when you put your hand out there, someone's going to grab your hand and grab your foot and, uh, and that's what happened and, and you get around and you, you, you're climbing through the middle of the night so that you can get to the summit at 5am and watch the sunrise but, but as you're getting up there, you're vomiting, you're, you're battling like sub-10, sub-minus 10 degrees, which is, you know, I didn't imagine I'd go to Africa and experience minus 10 degrees. No, no, you wouldn't. Um, but, yeah, an, an, an incredible story again. And, I mean, I do, Mike, I've had Mike on the podcast a few weeks ago, actually. Um, oh, cool. He is, he, awesome. he, he is a great he is, he is a great New Zealander. And so, you know, you look back at the even some of the you know stories that you've told today and, and the, the, what you've shared, you know, and and you know obviously you know you were born with cerebral palsy and you're told that your biggest two challenges would be the way you walk and the way you talk, and and you look at what you've gone on to do. You know, you've been a, a, an athlete for ten years, um, you know, a, a world renowned athlete. You've you've climbed you know Kilimanjaro, and and then you've become you know world speaker of the year, and you're traveling you know all over the world giving you know talks to th- hundreds of thousands of people, like. What a, you know, what a turnaround and, and no, 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 turnaround's the wrong word. What a, you know, it's a, you're proving and what you're doing, you're proving what's possible and what's, and what we're, maybe even also reminding all of us that there's, you know, the things that we've been told or the boxes that we put into or the restrictions that we've been placed on ourselves, either by other people or internally, uh, are, are just bullshit, really. Like you, you've, you've, you're showing what's possible. It's just taking control, and it's taking, and you know, there's bungee jumping, there's skydiving, there's fishing, there's driving fast cars, there's all these things, and I think, you know, I I didn't go huge into that Kilimanjaro story, but that thing of when the reasons were saying yes are way more awesome than the perceptions were saying no, you can never underestimate that. So every part of my journey, everything we've spoken about today has been because the reasons to say yes are why, you know, athletics, why say no? I might lose the race. I might get bullied. I might fall over. What will people think of me? Um, speaking, speaking, like straight away sounds cool. Like, whoa, you, you could build this career. You can entertain people. You can inspire people. But what I'm going to focus on is I talk funny. I get nervous. I get scared. What's the hard work involved in that? And that's what we're all going through. And unfortunately, too often we choose to focus on those perceptions of, of of what makes it too hard, too scary, or perceivably impossible, rather than going, what can I take control of? What would it feel like to achieve that thing? And now what do I need to do to achieve it? You know, 
adopt a persona and eventually that persona becomes you. And that's, you know, that's why I do what I do. Yeah, and you, you mentioned that a couple of times, adopting a persona. You said you sort of, you know, you, you, you sit at the start of something and you go, hey, look, this is what I want to what I, what I want to do. And then you say, who's world-class at it? And then what do I have to be in order to do that? Can you sort of break that down a little bit more when you talk about adopting the persona of someone that's already doing what you're trying to do? Yeah, so like um, when I was starting my speaking, I'd go and I'd watch, I'd just jump on YouTube most inspirational speech in the world. And and I just I just spend the whole evening, evening upon evening, just clicking the link, the link, the link, the link, and just seeing what people were doing. And I'd 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 see a story, you know, and it would be um it would be Zig Ziglar, Zig Ziglar talking about uh this boy, this disabled boy, and what he went on to do and how he was amazing. And so in my head, I'd go, so that's a cool story. Who have I got in my life or what have I got in my life to represent that story? What have I got to represent the story of the Buzzy Bee? Ah, now that speaker there, he's getting people moving. So how can I get people moving? Ah, I say, well, what does um, Oprah Winfrey do? Oh, she gives stuff away. That's how she builds connection and rapport. So how can I bring a little bit of Oprah into my speech? What can I give away? I can give away a bungee jump, and if I give away a bungee jump, that's going to be my way of summarising what I've just spoken about, you know, um, and so and so, developing those personas was more like as in a cocktail, you know. It was getting all these different people, messing it all together, spitting it out, and letting that be can. But when I was really scared, and I'd have to speak, and I'd be like, "This is real early days," I'd. Um, you know, I'd really focus on my breathing and how I could articulate myself and Cam Calcoon couldn't articulate himself, but um, but but John in Australia could show when you step on that stage, pretend you're John. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And and did you have to, um, you know, obviously cerebral palsy affects your speech. Do, do you have to, have you had to put any work into, into, into you know, your speaking at all to be able to, because obviously, you know, you, you, you can you can speak, but, you know, when you're on a stage and if there's, you know, you know there's, there's lights and other people and big crowds and anything, have, do you have to do anything as far as like warming up or preparing or, or practice in order to make sure that, oh, I mean. Mate. And right now it's gnarly. Like, you know how everyone's going back into the office and people are like, this is hard, this is scary, this, you know, I've got used to feeding the cat at two o'clock, what do you mean I've got to go to the office? I didn't think that as a speaker, I'd experience the same thing. Like, getting used to being in front of a group of people again, like, my, I'm like, what do, I, what do I do with my, what do I do with my arms, you know? What, like, how do I breathe into it? Because you're right, those, it's those exercises that I do before giving a speech that I've been doing my whole life, you know, the first eight years of my life, I was going to speech therapy every single day. 
uh, I did um, speech and drama at school because that's where the cool kids were. I got a scholarship to university and I just communication. And when I start adding those together, plus all the people that I've watched on YouTube as to how they speak, and um, that's what's enabled me to to create my my voice. So I do a few exercises, but as exercises that any professional voice person would do um, before they take to stage. Mm. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about dealing with discomfort because, like, everything you've thrown yourself into is is – you know, whether it's athletics or speaking, mountain climbing, and you talked about some of the fundraising and mentorship that you've done. Um, and it's it's always all those things you talked about are uncomfortable at the start. You know, it's that it's that that fear of what other people are gonna say or other people are gonna think. And you know, we talked about starting your race and then, you know, when you when you start speaking, I think, you know, public speaking is still the biggest fear of most of the planet, you know, and, and um you know, it's uncomfortable, but it's also in those, in those, you know, in that overcoming of those uncomfortable situations and dealing with that, those, those challenges that we, that we find out what we're possible, what, what's possible for us. But I also think that a lot of people don't do it, but you seem to be able to have done it a number of times repetitively and very successfully. How do you deal with things that are uncomfortable and are able to throw yourself into them regardless? So the reason that you've got a photo of me and you holding awesome is because that's what awesome is, right? Awesome is not the same as cool, gnarly, fun, fantastic. Awesome is stuff that strikes awe. So awe is going to get your knees shaking. It's going to get your butterflies flying. It's going to be a little bit scary. It's going to be intimidating. But when you get to the other side of that, it's going to be fun, gnarly, cool, fantastic, wonderful. In fact, it's probably going to be the best thing you've ever done in your life. And so what gets me through those things that are really scary is knowing that on the other side of that is either the greatest lesson or the greatest level of success that I could ever imagine. In fact, even more successful than I can imagine. When I started running, I never imagined that it would go on to me becoming a speaker and working with teams and companies all over the world. I didn't imagine that, but I I got through that race. I did the hard stuff, and that's what it led on to. You know, I, I don't know anyone who hasn't worked their arse off and done scary things or gone against the grain and then not being able to say, and this is what I became because of that. The people that came up Mount Kilimanjaro with me, people who had worked with Sir Richard Branson, people that 10 years before were broke and then gone on to set up the most successful drinks company in New Zealand, people running billion-dollar companies out of out of. Is born, I never knew that existed. And I asked all of them, you know, a musician that had sung with Pink Madonna, and they all said, at the point of getting comfortable in life, we push ourselves harder. And, uh, you know, you've got a lot of successful people on this podcast, people that I've definitely grown up admiring, and, and I think that 
say a similar thing, but at a point of getting comfortable, you've got to step beyond and and find out who you can be. Yeah, that's beautifully put. Um, Michael Hill, or Sir Michael Hill, said um, said comfort kills potential. And uh, and I, I couldn't agree more. Um, the, one of the one of the founders, I can't remember if it was Google or Microsoft, and it's a, it's a bit average of me not be able to, to quote the the person that said it. But they said you should always be you should always be working on something un, uh, uncomfortably exciting. And I think that those two words, and when they're next to each other, uncomfortably exciting, perfectly encapsulates that sort of nervous energy of excitement and 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 um, uncertainty. At the same time that that you're kind of describing, it's that idea that hey, you know, like I'm really excited for this, but also I'm really bloody nervous and scared. But I know, and like you just said, there's either going to be an amazing lesson in this or an amazing upside, <laughs> and it's that ability to 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 deal with being uncomfortably excited and to continuously put yourself into situations that leave you uncomfortably excited. That uh, endeavors to make successful people what they are. And when we, you know, sticking with comfort, there's going to be a time when, if it, when you're going to be left behind because you've stuck with what's comfortable, right? You know, you see all those businesses that haven't changed for the time because you stick there. You know, I had someone come up to me once after talking and say, Cam, I'll never be successful because. I am comfortable. And this is a person that had a batch of BMW to boat show. He had done stuff in his life that had obviously pushed him beyond his comfort zone to achieve that, yet he hadn't taken the time to stop and smile and to reflect on that. And so if we can stop and smile and reflect on what's got us to where we are in life, if it's something that's uncomfortable, and if right now we're not where we are, we're not where we want to be, we need to remind ourselves, well, we've already done it before. What did that feel like? What did we do? And how can we now implement that today in order to achieve that new level of success? If that's what we're hungry for, if that's what we're thirsty for. But if we're not hungry for it, if we're not thirsty for it, don't underestimate where we are or it's going to got us to where we are. Enjoy that, appreciate it, and just, you know, Box it up, but work out. Do you want to keep pushing yourself or do you want to just celebrate who you are and where you are? Because if that's what you want to do, that's cool too, you know, is that choice. But what I never want people walking away feeling or, or believing is that they have to do something because they've always done it that way or they have to be this person because of all the expectations that are around it. Be the best that you can be and that, that is awesome. Yeah, yeah, you did right. That is awesome. Um, I want to, I want to uh, give you another quote here, uh, and this is actually a quote of yours. And I wrote it down because I, I loved it so much. And it said, um, "As much as I, as much as being uncomfortable is scary, being comfortable makes me feel like I'm not even living." Yeah, perfectly put, eh? Right now, I'm preparing for a workshop. I've got to do a workshop tomorrow, and I'm so uncomfortable with it <laughs> like, because it's, it's new, it's new content, it's keynoting is what I do. 
But there was so much excitement coming out of the English workshop of putting it together. There's new content coming together. There's new opportunities coming up. You start to see where else it can go, where else it can be used, you know. And yeah, there's moments, you know, yesterday a moment snuck down where they're like, man, it'd be so much easier to just give up on it and just go back to doing what I've always done, the keynote that I've always done. But if I do that, I'm not going to know what I'm going to achieve. But maybe what I do need to do is I just need to back the pressure off a little bit, you know, and start having fun with it and start exploring with it and and not thinking that you've got to always be at a certain level. As long as you're challenging yourself, that's where we get to who we can be. Yeah, it's a mixture of sort of being compassionate and kind with yourself, but also pushing yourself, um, making sure that you are doing what you're capable of. Yeah. Um, one a couple of things to finish off, Kim. Um, in the in the communication, you know, for this episode, in the brief that I got, it said uh, you love being asked questions that are insensitive because that's often how we remove assumptions. Can you ex- explain that? Because it's such a cool point. I don't know, insensitive, but often, um, like I was. Um I was doing a podcast just a couple of weeks ago with Tom Harvey and he says, I've got this question and I'm not sure if I can ask it, but uh, I'm just going to ask it anyway. And it was like, you know, what's your sex life like? Or does it all work downstairs? And I was like, awesome, yeah, it does, but cool because when we now people aren't going, oh, yeah, cool story, but, you know, uh, we didn't go there, so maybe that's too hard or too scary. So... What I'm saying is, like, if we can, uh, if we can eliminate assumption, and so whatever questions we feel people may have, let's just answer it because we don't want people to leave here going, "Cool, we did this, he did that, he did that," but man, life, life must still be hard. Like, it's not. But, but what is the question which may we not been asked? But, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful thing to do, and I and I I was trying to think of an insensitive question to ask you, and I just couldn't. I don't know whether it's I've not wired that way, but it, one of them was around your love life, which you've already answered. And I heard I heard I listened to that episode you did with Dom, and uh, I heard him ask that. Uh, and and the other one was talking about um, you know I, w- I wanted to know like uh, you talked about like hot drinks and stuff, but you've already said you've already talked you've already mentioned that earlier on as well. So like, <laughs> are there? I mean, I'm not gonna not gonna try and make up something to be insensitive but you know is there is this is there something you know are there things that you struggle with at all that 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 you know that your cerebral palsy means that you have to you know work a bit harder or can't do i don't know man i really don't know because like this is just this is my life like this is what i'm used to this is so i'm sure if someone you know stepped into my body overnight and woke up yeah very challenges but you know i I have this cool little gadget to help me do my buttons up on my sleeve and I can really think of that as different as my life is. Like my car, when I was learning to drive a car, I, I was like, yeah, probably everyone would respect me to learn to drive in an automatic, but you know what, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to learn how to drive a manual because one day I'm going to have a kid and I want that kid to be able to um, say, hey, Dad, can you teach me how to drive? No, I don't want to be like, oh, man, sorry, I, I took the easy option and I can't teach you. 
he'll probably be, he or she will probably be in like a, a floating electric car but won't even need a driver. <laughs> Self-driving, yeah. Back in age, that kind yeah. of thing. So yeah. I've just, and, and I've, I've pushed myself, you know. I've gone, this is a great opportunity to learn how to do that, so I'm going to learn how to do it now. Um, but, you know, our house is a, a very normal house. There's no special features here um, apart from me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you're great, Ken. Hey, uh, three things to finish off, uh, three questions, because I'm conscious of your time. Firstly, what's next? You know, like, you know, you've, you've you know, uh, You've done so much already, and I think you're you're a couple, you're 84. I think you were born, so you're a couple years older than me. Um, you know, you, you you like what you've done so much already. You know, you've you've you know athletics. You've you're, you've climbed mountains. You've you've set up charities and run charities. You've uh, you speak all over the world. Um, you know, you've inspired you know hundreds of thousands of people with your talks. Like, what is it that you're focusing on, and, and, and what's sort of the next step for you? The question of what next over the last two years, like I've been exhausting that in myself because every other two weeks I've had to go, how how do I survive? Like how do I, because my speaking, you know, when you're not on stages, so it's been going, what, what do I need to do to keep getting my message out there? And I've, you know, gone and bought the technology and everything I need in order for I for me to do that, but right now, you know, I'm actually looking forward to just stepping back into what I've done for a while, of what I got used to. I'm looking forward to, you know, I'm, I'm down in, I've got this workshop tomorrow, I'm down in Tauranga on Thursday, I'm in Queenstown on on Saturday, I'm in New Plymouth on Tuesday, I'm on out of school to Wednesday after that, I'm went off to to Darwin to speak up there at a big insurance conference at the end of May. There's some more stuff in May. And that's what I'm really looking forward to, is just going back into man, I'm what's next is just stepping back into my strong place and always keeping in mind of travel, entertainment and connection and show what what other things that I'm going to take from this COVID season in order to implement that into the business so that it wasn't just about surviving now but, but taking the business to a whole new level and what does that look like. Um, but, you know, and I hope everyone takes a little bit of just enjoying getting back into the life that we've known and and breathing and recharging and not underestimating the toll what the last two years has has had on everyone. And, I mean, who knows where we are in relation to that, but things are feeling good and hopefully that's the case. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly been a crazy couple of years and I think you're right, what's next is, is hopefully to get back to what we considered normal before that and, uh, you know, particularly in the, you know, in the events industry, you know, you're right, like what a, <clears throat> a pretty much, you know, in in January, February 2020 we were doing, you know, everything was normal and then pretty much and, you know, they just stopped, like the tap just turned off completely, um, you know, and, 
you know, as a as someone who speaks at events, I, I know that all of a sudden it's it can be a bit scary because you go, oh well, <laughs> that's that's sort of how I live. And I heard when you spoke with Dom that you 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 bought a house like <laughs> during that period as well. Yeah, we we bought a house like two days before we went into like Auckland's next biggest next biggest lockdown and like first first but again it's a bit like so buying a house was like. Okay, I I was I was all set to move to LA um, when COVID came, and it was just going. Okay, what's the next scary thing that I have the ability to achieve? Well, I'm just going to do this, and I'm going to find out what happens. And I'm fortunate that I could do that, man. But it's again like, um, it's pretty cool that you can do that out of something that you know, people may perceive as your biggest weakness and that's why I'm proud of it, you know. I walk out to people and they say, oh, what do you do? What do you do as a career? And I say, oh, I'm a speaker. And they go, oh, that's cute. <laughs> Most people are pretty good, but some people are like, oh, that's cute, you know. Or, and, um, and you just don't worry about that and you know what life that you've been able to create through having a goal and having ambition and having great leadership around you and being able to acknowledge that great leadership is there and embrace it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so you, you, you're talking about moving to LA, you know, pre, pre-lockdown. Was that because that was to pursue speaking, yeah. was it? Yeah, it was, again, like um, everything had got pretty comfortable here in New Zealand. We were speaking three, four days a week all over the world and it was having that... Um, that that desire to go. I've spoken in the United States of America. What would it take to to do what I'm doing in New Zealand, but in America? You know, imagine speaking two, three times a week to like a minimum two thousand people at each speech, or doing a roadshow of like twenty states. Like, how epic would that be? And just um, yeah. And so that's what I was all set up to do. Worked on a visa, got a one-way ticket to Los Angeles, found a cool place to stay in LA, um, down in Santa Monica, had, you know, a year's worth of marketing and exposure going into it because you don't just want to go in cold. Cool events lined up. One event had 24,000 people. I was like, damn, like 24,000 people, one event, it takes me a year to do that many people in, in Auckland. But um, yeah, shows all lined up and then COVID came and that's changed that for now. And it's not taken it away, but it's also given a, a great perspective on what we have got here in New Zealand. And um, yeah, like I said, I'm just looking forward to stepping back into uh, into what I know, what I'm comfortable with, because of all the discomfort that I've gone through in the last two years, and been been open to the opportunities of challenging that. Yeah, yeah, great. Do you still think you might head to, head head over to the states to live at one time? 
Absolutely, but I think what we've experienced is that the world is actually way smaller than we when I originally thought it was, and that when you know I was used to going through that international airport every single month, and you realise that it felt like a big thing at the time, but the reality is. I can even, from September, be in New York in 18 hours. And when you haven't been able to fly for so long, that now becomes such a small thing. So again, our perception has changed on, if you're really busy here, you can afford to commute between New Zealand and America. So, you know, there's all these things where once it was you've got to move and you've got to go back to the hustle and the grind. But actually, if I've realised I've been able to, uh, um, yeah, I've realised what, what I can do, I realised what opportunities I have in New Zealand, and that's expanded my thinking of how I can achieve that bigger goal. I have, I'll have the ability to go, you know what, I'll do a, a big month here and then I'll take off for a month or six weeks and, and see what I can do in that time, but know that when I come back, I can pick stuff back up rather than going, I've got to kind of give everything up and go back to, yeah, it's just different perspectives on, on hustle and grind and it doesn't always mean it needs to mean sacrifice or give up. It just means how do I make that work? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And also, the I think the last couple of years have taught us, particularly in the events sort of uh, you know, area, is that um, you know so much can be done online now as well, and done online well. You know, I know you've invested in technology and, and, and resources to be able to you know have a, have a, a very sort of um, you know high end um, broadcast from from your own house. And you know, like a couple of years ago, we you know you weren't even thinking about that. You know, and and now we're all able to do it. And so. Um, Hey, there's still nothing that beats, like you said, being being on stage in front of twenty four thousand people would be is certainly different from sitting in your living room. No, but but when you're but when you're needing to get because let's face it, to grow in America, to grow anywhere in the world, you need exposure. And what we've now got is the ability to get the exposure without them having to fly you out, without having to do accommodation. So, so events all around the world can actually, if they choose to do an online component, they can now afford to take a risk of bringing in someone that no one knows because all we're having to pay for is their fee. We're not having to pay for all the other stuff. And so... It doesn't, you know, hopefully it's going to be a big success, you know, from their point of view. So their, their risk comes down by bringing you through online. And certainly, you know, there was a, a week um, of the beginning of this year where I was speaking in Texas, Germany, Sweden, and um, and um, Mallorca all, all, all within the same week. That's never happened before, you know, doing that many different towns and countries throughout the world. And it went really awesome. So now it's about going back to those clients and being like, hey, this was cool online. Uh, if that was a 20-minute version of what I do, uh, everyone loved it. Imagine what we could do in real life. Oh, yeah, cool. We've already seen that. It's a much less risk. Now we're going to do that. So the potential that this two years has to catapult anyone in the events industry who has been making the most of it is is huge. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more, especially when you look at it like that. 
Hey, um, two, two questions to finish off, and I ask these to, to most people. Um, and the first one is, what are you most proud of? You know, like you, you look back at the things you've done, even the, the conversation that we've had in the last, you know, 90 minutes or so, there's some tremendous feats and some tremendous, um, you know, things that you've been able to achieve. When you look back at, at your life now, your life today at least, what is it that you're most proud of? Uh, most proud of this. I just doing what we're doing right now because for my speech, there's, you know, there was a time and there's even times now where it's easy to see it as an impediment. In fact, you're told it's an impediment. You have to go to the hospital five days a week to work on your speech, you know. It's, you, you've had people laugh at the way you talk. To be able to have built a career that makes people feel amazing, to make people believe that they can achieve great things, to to challenge perception on anything that comes into their life, for me, that's by far my my greatest accomplishment. Amazing, yeah. It's a, um, I, I couldn't agree more. It's a, um, yeah, you're, you're living proof of what's what's possible. That's certainly for sure. Um, and, and last question, Cam, um, is, is what do you wish everyone knew? You know, like if you if you if you could put up a billboard and the whole world was going to drive past it tomorrow morning and, and read it, you know, what would you what would what would you put up there? What do you what do you? I mean, you you almost are speaking to the <laughs> to the entire world when you are when you when you're doing your talks anyway. But if if you could offer a bit of advice to everyone, what would it be? Yeah, just be awesome, right? And then maybe have that small print below of stuff that gets in the shaking. Because your butterflies flying, the stuff uh, can be uncomfortable, but be awesome and remove assumption. If you can do that, if you can challenge yourself, if you can excite yourself, if you cannot worry too much about how someone looks or how they talk or how they walk, and you just can just go potential, potential, potential. Man, I'm dropping all sorts of words here, <laughs> but I'm going to monetize this billboard and, um, yeah, I, I'm going to maximize it. <laughs> but those would be the things. Be awesome, give it of assumption, and just, like, have fun, man, have fun. Cam, you are living proof of all of those things you've just you've just shared about. Be awesome, you know. I love that. Um, you know, I think I was I was trying to think about what your title is, you know, like for the podcast when I put it on the on the thing, and I came up with uh, with ambassador of awesome. I hope that's okay. Awesome, love it. It's perfect. Hey, perfect. Hey, hey, Cam. Thank you so much, mate. Like you're you're a, you're, a, you're a true champion, and I um you know appreciate all the work you've done. Like I said, I've been lucky enough to see you speak before, and um and you really are uh, an inspiration and and life changing. And I know that I say that on behalf of you know myself, the people that are listening, but also the the, the thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that have heard you talk. So, mate. Um, uh, thank you for your time today. I know you're busy. You've just talked about your schedule. I know you've got a lot on. So thanks for making the time to chat. Thanks for being. Thanks for being you. Thanks for being awesome. And uh, and mate, keep up the great work. Thank you. It's been a delight. Thanks for having me.
And there he is, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Cam Calcoon. What an amazing guy. Eh? What, In fact, I should say, what an awesome guy he is. And um, you can't help but spend some time with Cam or have a conversation or, or even just hear him talk and walk away feeling like that, you know, you can do something better or you can you can, you can can do something more or, um, you know, I guess what, that's probably the idea of a, of a speaker is to inspire us or motivate us. And um, look, he certainly does that. He's an incredible guy and, um, you know, I know he's busy, so I'm incredibly grateful for his time today as I am for your time. I don't take it lightly. You know, there's so many things that you can be listening to right now, but you've chose to listen to, to this, to this episode right now. In your car, in the gym, with your headphones on, on your speaker at home, whatever it is, you've chosen to listen to this. And uh, like I said, I, I say it every time, but it honestly means the world to me. And, um, you know, these these episodes, they cost me money to do, but I do them because every now and then I get a message from someone and they say how much, um, you know, a particular episode or a particular conversation has helped them. So um, I love getting those messages and, um, you know, if you did take something out of today's episode or any of the episodes of the Road to Success podcast, if you could do one of three things, firstly would be to follow or subscribe to the podcast, whichever platform you're listening on, just hit follow or subscribe and you'll hear all the new episodes as they come out. The second thing would be to leave a rating or review. Again, on that platform right now, you can leave either a written review or a star rating. If you could do that, again, it helps the podcast grow. And lastly, would just be to share the Road to Success podcast. There's a share button on your phone right now. Just hit share and you can send it to someone else or you can share it on your social media accounts as well and tell people to go and check out the Road to Success podcast. Again, we're both on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. So a huge thanks to Cam, a huge thanks to you. And also I've got to thank celebrity speakers. They've come on to help this season of the Road to Success podcast. And man, I'm so grateful for them. They make everything so easy, which is exactly what they do if you are having an event and you need a speaker. They can take care of absolutely everything from you. Obviously Cam is one of their speakers, but they've got a a huge number of speakers and you can find them all online at celebritiespeakers.co.nz. So go online, check them out and find out how they can help you with a speaker for your next event. Until the next time, thank you so much for checking out the Road to Success podcast. Thank you to Cam and thank you to Celebrity Speakers. Love ya, see ya, bye. Bye.